Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. You know that the Word of God has the ability to transform your life today. Not only transform uh, your life in general, but also the ability to transform what seems impossible in your life today. Amen? So, Amen? Amen. amen. Uh, so my prayer for you is to be open to uh, God's word today and be approachable. Let the Holy Spirit speak into your life. And I promise you, you will, you will leave different than the way you came in. If you came in sad, you can leave happy. I know that's powerful. If you came in happy, you can leave happier. <laughs> and so be, be approachable to God's word. Amen? We don't realize how many doors we walk through every single day. As a matter of fact, when you got up this morning, you probably walked through a dozen doors. Some of you may ran into a door before your coffee. I can do that at times. I find lately that um, I find it harder and harder to see without these, these glasses. And so, but we walk through so many doors. Doors are used for leaving a room or entering a room. Uh, doors can be an invitation or a barricade. Doors are also metaphors in your life. Uh, an, an opportunity or an end of a season. Someone here today is about to walk through a door that's an opportunity. Or you are about to walk through a door that's the end of uh, a season in your life. The Bible speaks of a door as an invitation or a decision. The word door is used over 400 times in the, in the Bible. And sometimes God opens doors and other times he closes doors. Doors have significant value for your spiritual life. A door is a reference to salvation, amen? A reference to prayer, a reference to opportunity, faith, and other spiritually significant things that we can walk through. So let me ask you, have you ever walked through a door of opportunity that you would have, have in no way been able to open on your own? Raise your hand. The rest of you are liars. We've all been there, right? We, we, we find ourselves in situations sometimes and, and, and pinch ourselves and say, I am here and doing this because God has opened this door for me. Some of you here uh, uh, have been praying. You, you, as I'm saying this, you prayed a prayer at one time and God opened the door and the very fact that God opened the door and healed your body, you're sitting in this room today, Amen. And this is why this series is so important. God wants to open some doors in your life that you don't have the, the courage to walk through and maybe close some doors in your life that you don't have the strength to close. So let me, there are five principles that I want us to remember as we walk through this series and what you and I need to know about the doors in your life. The no, number one is this, every door is a decision. Amen? In the Bible, doors are a metaphor for the, the choices that we make. You, you learn early in life that some doors you should walk through and other doors you shouldn't walk through. Number two, my future 
every student, every adult, my future will be shaped by the doors I open and the doors that I walk past. And so the difficult part is knowing the right door. Because each door is time, right? Could be money. It could be a lot of energy. Confession time. Have you ever walked through a door that you thought was right, but ended up being the wrong door? Raise your hand. I'm raising two hands, my feet, my toes, right? Uh, There are some doors uh, that we walk through and it takes years to get back on track because we've walked through some of the wrong doors in our lives. And later on in our series, we're going to talk about knowing the right and the wrong doors. Better word we use is discernment. Everybody say discernment. Number three, a door may be an opportunity uh, from God. When God opens doors, it normally comes with opposition. Many of us won't walk through doors that God is opening because we forecast the opposition, don't we? We don't have enough courage to walk through the door and we forecast what is waiting for us on the other side of the door and we we forget one important common denominator and that is the presence of God as he gives us the strength to what? Walk through the door. God has a plan for your life, doesn't he? So some doors an opportunity. A door may be a distraction from others. It looks, uh, it looks like an opportunity, but it ends up being a distraction. God has a plan for your life, but so does everyone else, right? And sometimes people want you to walk through doors that you should never walk through. A distraction. It could be an opportunity. And you can miss the real doors that, o- that are opening because you are distracted by other doors. And a door can also be a trap from the enemy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There are trap doors in the world that will seem appetizing and they are set to destroy you. Remember earlier I said you ever walked through a door you should have never walked through? Some of you were reminded of some of those doors. And it was set up to try to destroy, destroy you. Number four. An open door will never, never, never contradict the word of God. Amen? When God opens a door, it is not in contradiction with his word. The word of God is our moral compass. And if you are about to walk through a door in your life and it is at odds with his word, don't walk through it. When God's word says, don't do that, this, God will not open a door for you to do it. It's a trap from the enemy. And lastly, sometimes God shuts doors to protect us. God is trying to shut doors in your life to help you not not to hurt you. And when we don't shut them, we end up in a lot of pain and blame God. And the reason he shuts them is to protect us from that pain. When he shuts doors, he has a better plan. When he shuts doors in your life, he has a better plan. You hear me? When God God is shutting that door in your life this week, today, 
over a period of time because he has a better plan. He has a better perspective. He has a better outlook. He sees the beginning and the middle and the end, and you need to walk and allow God to shut that door. So today, we're going to talk about the door of courage. Everybody say courage. You are in this room today and at the door of decision, needing the courage to, to step through whatever it is that you need to step through. And the step between courage and the answer will always be fear. The step between the courage that you need and the answer on the other side of that door will always be a sense of fear. That is why we need God. That is why faith is not based on a feeling. Faith is based on you stepping into God who's bigger than any feeling. Can you imagine what you would do if you base your entire life on feelings? Right? We step out in faith, believing in God, and eventually feelings, what do they do? They follow. But faith is stepping out. And fear will always be at the forefront of courage before we step out. On the other side of my courage, here's a question that we ask every single time. I ask it so many times. Will God be there for me? It's a natural response. Don't feel guilty. Will God be there for me? Will I be alone? On the other side of this decision, will I be alone? Will God be with me? I need to know that, that, that he is with me to face the fears of my life. Some of you are standing at the door, and on the so other side of the door, you've received news that have shattered your world. You are facing a battle that seems to be way bigger than your faith threshold in this very moment. And often in life, we'll be cruising along, won't we? And nothing to fear and nothing to worry about. And then all of a sudden, you are standing at a crossroad. Because something has enveloped your life. And you are needing the kind of courage that is unavailable in your life right now. Everybody, anybody ever been there? And you are standing at a door. And so we are faced with the choice. Will I give into fear or move forward Encourage. Everybody say courage. I want to encourage you through a story from a man by the name of Hezekiah who had to face this very door, the door between fear and courage. There, there, there were, in the context of his story, there were a few good kings and, and, and Judas, in Judah's history. And in 2 Kings 18, it says, in verse 5 and, and verse 7, it says, Hezekiah trusted the Lord the God of Israel. Now see the pattern here, okay? In the middle of this context, King Hezekiah, the kings had come before him were evil. But God had chosen Hezekiah to stand up and have courage. And before he was challenged with anything, he had one posture. And we'll talk about that in a moment. It says, Hezekiah trusted the Lord. Watch the pattern. The God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah. Either before him or after him. He was successful in everything that he undertook. Why? Why was he successful? It's a test with the answers already there. Look at it. Why? He trusted in the Lord. See, 100%, you all passed it. See, the temptation is to look, in, in, in every great story, is to falsely assume that the person of strength in that story, came by that strength without any pain. 
isn't it? We look at Hezekiah, we look at other, other men and women of God, and we say, wow, if I only had that kind of faith threshold. But everybody has a story. You have a story. What's your story? Uh, I spent a, a part of this week in membership interviews, uh, doing 12, uh, not this week, but four of 12. It's, it's a process that we do here at Bethesda when a person applies for church membership. That's a shameless advertisement for membership, if you're wondering, okay? And what I love about having these conversations, and it's not even an interview. It's not. It's really a conversation, a beautiful conversation. Some of the greatest stories I've heard is having conversations with people wanting to take up membership because I ask a question. I, I, I know that you want membership. I know you're applying. We'll talk about benefits of membership, all those good things. Let's peel away that. What I want to know is tell me your journey. Come on, tell me your journey. Tell me your story. And the stories that I've heard. People of courage and faith. Uh, we sat with Sintish this past week. And I asked her to tell me her story. <laughs> From the outside, like Hezekiah, Sintish's story seemed like a regular story. So does yours, right? Because you haven't told your entire story yet. When I asked, her story was made up of one door after another where courage was needed. From fleeing with her family from the Congo in 2001 and going from one refugee camp to another as a very, very young age, growing up in these camps and settling in one, getting her education and, and being the best student in that school and getting a scholarship. Come on now. You want to talk about courage? And so here she was with the ability and the finances to fund her future. She stood at a door, but to accept this scholarship, she would have to return to her home from where she fled. Returning would expose her family. And she's telling me the story, and I'm on the edge of the seat like this. <laughs> Tell me more, right? In my heart, she stood at a door. I said, wow, well, what did you, what, you do? I turned it down. What? Turn it down. Yes, I turned it down. She told me how she felt and her experience after she turned it down. She went through some dark times, you know, needing the courage, the kind of courage along the way that requires risk. But God had all their doors, amen? And God has turned down some doors in your life, but He has other doors for you. Needing the kind of courage, like I said, along the way that requires risk. God had other doors. It took four years later. Come on, Lord, bye. You know, four years after turning down the scholarship, finally ending up here in Newfoundland, and after one year being accepted into the business program at Kona in her third year. I call it going from the Congo to Kona, right? I mean, what an amazing story. But the point is, before I knew her story, I was tempted to say, like Hezekiah, like yours, she was successful in all that she did. But we didn't know her pain. And pain is usually the map to courage and strength. And this is the temptation to think that Hezekiah's life was a cakewalk. But understanding the context of this story to know that during Hezekiah's reign, the king of Assyria is, is taking down cities. You know, it's not like the beginning of the enemy 
and there's no strength in the enemy. In the context of 2 Kings 18, the king of Assyria already took siege of the northern kingdom. And he was coming after Hezekiah. And eventually Assyria conquers the city right next to Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, where Hezekiah is hiding out. He's not going through doors. Hezekiah is hiding underneath doors, okay? And Hezekiah knows he's next, and he knows the enemy is coming his way. And to be honest, he fears his future. He does. You see, on the other side of every great story are moments of great fear. So let me ask you, is there anything that has you anxious or afraid right now? And you're wondering what to do next. Hezekiah responds by sending a message to the king of Assyria. He says, I will pay you whatever you want as long as you back down. You see, this we need to stop here because we will always try to pay off our fear, won't we? We will always try to compromise to dissipate that fear in our life. And more often, we will rationalize with a human reaction that should require a contagious, a courageous response. And Hezekiah is saying, I will do whatever it takes to remove this threat and relieve my fear. And so he gathers up all the gold and the money and ships it off to the Assyrians. But the bribe wasn't enough to make the Assyrians go away. So rather than walk through the door of courage... He tries to take it in his own hands. And the enemy has Hezekiah and God's people in Jerusalem in their target. And that's how fear works. Fear isn't satisfied with making you quiver. Fear has a way of trying to completely destroy you and keep you from moving beyond the barrier and keep you from living the life God has called for you. And see, the Assyrians are about to take over Jerusalem. And God supplies Hezekiah with enough courage to withstand the enemy. And scripture tells us that God shows up in King Hezekiah's life. And we'll talk about that a little later. But here's the context of the story. He showed the, the kind of courage that we wish we could have in living out our faith today. God shows up in his story and he gives him the kind of courage to overcome the enemy. But before we see the, the results of his courage, what makes up this man, Hezekiah? What is at the epicenter of his life? What are the foundations of his life that gives this kind of courage? We need to know the decisions he made as a leader that can lead to this kind of faith. The religious context of Hezekiah was people worshiping, and this is important, worshiping whatever God was most convenient. And before Hezekiah did anything else as a king, his first posture, as a matter of fact, before he had any problems, before he even required courage, look what he does. He removes, next slide please, he removes the high places, smashed the, the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah pole. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. If you know your story, you know that this pole was once there to free them and now they were burning incense to it. If you look at that story in Numbers, Moses... In other words, Hezekiah had the courage to remove the idols in people's lives. 
And based on his, his posture, we can see several times where God will give courage. And this one is so prevalent. He had the courage to live out his faith counterculturally, in the middle of culture. He, he had the courage to go against the culture and focus his worship back on God alone. See, the success of his courage and the success of his leadership wasn't his ability to be a good leader. It was the direction of his worship. The very first thing, his very first posture, I worship only one God. And and the the definition of culture is the way of life, especially the general customs and beliefs of a particular particular group of people at a particular time. See, in Hezekiah's time, people worshiped whatever God that was convenient for them, including the kings before Hezekiah. Hezekiah understood this. He was living in a culture that was worshiping the bronze snake that Moses used in the book of Numbers. The same pole that saved God's people when they were bitten by snakes, they were now burning incense to and local shrines. They even had a name on it called the Nehashten, and I don't know how to pronounce it. It was a derogatory name given to the bronze serpent. They had taken on the worship rituals of Egypt and was burning incense to other gods and worshiping instead of living out their faith in the true God. Boy, I tell you, church, The culture isn't that much different today, is it? Culture today says worship whatever God you want as long as you don't choose one or push your God on me. Most would agree that culture is drifting away from Christ-centered values. It has become more and more controversial to endorse biblical values. And when you do, the culture says that it is what? Intolerant. Take a stand on any number of, of, of Christian values and the world will shout intolerance. But to call someone intolerant for holding firm to their Christian belief systems is intolerant in itself, is it not? And the point I'm making is we are going to need to walk through the kind of courage to follow Christ and stand for biblical truth and not get pulled to get toward other drifting values. As a matter of fact, This was at the heartbeat of Hezekiah. It says, he remained faithful to the Lord in everything. He carefully obeyed the commands of the Lord. What does it say next? So, the Lord was with him. He understood one of the the door principles. That when God opens a door, it doesn't contradict his word. It was one of the sources of his courage. He understood that because at the very forefront of his leadership was a person who says, I'm going to remain faithful to the Lord in everything. And not only faithful to the Lord in my walk, but at the beginning, the foundation of my faith is based upon upon the commands of of the Lord. And that was his posture. You see, the early church, our history shows us that that Christians mostly flourish in the midst of facing courageous decisions and, and to live counterculture. 2,000 years ago, we watched a group of people that had one passion. They had witnessed love like they had never witnessed before. That God sent his son Jesus 
to this earth. And it was great to have him side by side with them. But that wasn't at the epicenter of their love and their passion. It was a God who sent the son who died and rose again for them. And they faced culture at that time with that passion, with that one principle. God loves me. I love people. And we watched a, a group of people that called, they were called the people of the way, the, the, the gospel, the people of the way. And they grew from a, a few people to millions in the third century with that understanding. See, at the center, the, to live counterculture is to love God and live out that love in our culture. The definition of courage is doing what is right over what is easy. So in the face of other kings who had did evil and erected gods in the face of the enemy, Hezekiah stood against a culture and he reestablished worship to the true God. This was at the center of his courage. He focused his focus on the true and living God. That was at the center. Not only did he stand against culture, not only did he stand firm on God's word, not only did he tear down all these, 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 these gods, he also, Hezekiah was courageous enough to ask for help. And alongside of him was a prophet by the name of Isaiah. Let me ask you, when you are standing at a spiritual juncture in your life, when you are standing at the door, the part of your life when, when courage is needed, who do you turn to? Who is the source of your strength? Who is at the epicenter of your life? The Israelites had placed their faith in other gods. Hezekiah would have none of that. And not only did he remove other gods, but he inquired of God's prophet at the time. It says in 2 Kings 19, when the Assyrians were about to overtake Jerusalem, Hezekiah asked for help by sending a message to the prophet Isaiah. And this is what it says. Today is a day of trouble. It's the, the, the gift of the obvious, right? We're in a lot of trouble here. It's like when a child is ready to be born, but the mother has no strength to deliver the baby. I know what that's like. I went through it three times. Well, I didn't go through it. My wife did. It's hard. Then he says, pray for us. In other words, I can't do this on my own, Isaiah. I need all the help I can get. And I, I think for most of us this morning, the temptation when we are standing at a crossroad and we are reaching for the door of courage and you know it's going to require something that you don't have, our temptation is to isolate ourselves. As a matter of fact, it's not even a temptation. It's a posture for most Christians. Rather than reach out, we hide. We were never designed to handle pain in isolation. You're here today. You are never meant to handle pain in isolation. As a matter of fact, it's one of those doors that's a trap from the enemy to isolate. And maybe the courage for you is to open the door by communicating to someone that you're struggling and ask someone to, to, to carry it with you. You see, after as Hezekiah asked Isaiah for help, the king of Assyria sent Hezekiah a final message. Sent him a text message. <laughs> Your time is up. No, no more warnings after realizing that the enemy was about to take over. 2 Kings 14, 19, 14 says, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out 
before the Lord. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are alone, our Lord and our God. Hmm. Wow. And if you have prayed all at all through a time in your life where the problem at hand is far bigger than the faith you have, and you are standing at the door of courage, you know what it means to spread out your need before the Lord, don't you? Just to lay it out there. He literally took the letter from the enemy and he laid it out before God and he said, help. I do these all the time. I prepare a message, I print it out, I lay it out, and I go, help. <laughs> I have a need that's bigger than me, that's insurmountable, I don't know what to do, and my first posture is to isolate myself, my first posture is to fear, allow the fear to be bigger than my God that's in my life, I end up saying help. I look at this church and I see the needs and, and the pain and, and, and the healing that needs to happen in some people's lives, and I say help. How about you? When was the last time you spread out that need and said, God, I cannot do anything. I need your help. So let me ask you, what do you need to lay out before the Lord today? Before Hezekiah walked through the door of courage, he made sure his eyes were on the only one that could help him. Here's the reality. Most often we are unsure what doors to walk through. It's only when we lay our needs before the Lord and allow his perspective to guide us can we really know which direction to take. See, Hezekiah knew that. He had a focus on God because he would not allow other gods to be in the way. He destroyed them. He remained faithful to the Lord and obeyed his commands. Therefore, when it came time for the enemy to show up, he had a perspective that I wish I had sometimes. And here's the reality. Most often we are unsure, as I said. And so he stood. He was courageous enough to stand in, in a culture of other gods. He was courageous enough to ask for help. Also, he was, Hezekiah's fear drove him to courageously trust God more. Where does your fear drive you? And here's the context. This is so profound. Hezekiah's people are completely surrounded and to top it all off, the Assyrians stood on their wall that surrounded and protected Jerusalem to taunt the people and to stoke the fear even more. How do you get to the place where the enemy is so close that they are standing on the very thing that protects you? Whew. You ever been in that moment? That battle where the, the enemy is so close? Wow. It, this happens, it happens when our affection and our worship are distracted by other doors and other things. And the Assyrians, if you read 2 Kings 16 and 17, you'll see the, the posture of the northern kingdom and what happened and why God allowed them to be taken over because they took their eyes off of God and their affections were on other things. 2 Kings 18 says this, 29 to 30, don't let Hezekiah deceive you. This is the chief now. He's on their wall. The gall. The nerve of the enemy. He stood on their wall and spoke in their language. He said, don't let Hezekiah 
deceive you. He will never be able to rescue you from my power. Don't let him fool you into trusting the Lord. Can you imagine? Not only is he, he, he compromising your defense, their defense, he is, he is he's insulting their God. Hmm. He is saying, we have conquered every city. What makes you think you're safe? Even the smallest amount of their troops can defeat your en- entire enemy, he says, the chief. He yelled that it would get so bad, the enemy describes their fate. Listen to this. They will, he describes what their fate is going to, what their future is going to look like. It says, there will be, they will be so hungry and thirsty that they will eat their own dung. <laughs> and, and drink their own urine. I put that just there for your reaction. But it's powerful. You don't realize it, but it is powerful. I, I had to add, I love, I love tr- the trash talk of the Old Testament, man. Right? Isn't it amazing how fear will tell us that our future is bleak and hopeless? And this is what the chief is doing. That's what fear does. If it can convince us that there is no hope for the future, it cripples us from any courage or strength in the present. Isn't that true? And this is what the chief was doing. He stood on the wall of the fence and said, this is what your future is going to look like. And his goal was to cripple them, to give them no hope. And if he could give them no hope for the future, he could get them in the present. You see, fear, do you know that we are born with only two fears? You were only born with two fears. You may have multiple fears here today, but you were born only with two. Fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. You were born with that. It's inside. Every other fear is learned. The fear of spiders, for example. Right? Some of you say, no, my dear. The moment I came out of the womb, I was frightened to death of spiders. <laughs> The fear of cats, the fear of being out of mobile phone, phone contact. That is a fear, apparently, right? The fear of clowns. And here's, here's the most important one right here. Next slide, please. Fear of the Habs winning the cup. That's a fear. Let's say that phobia together. In your dreams, phobia. There you go. Just figure I'd throw that in there. All, all jokes aside, if most of our fears are learned, then they can be unlearned. And even in the middle of fear, Hezekiah was holding firm to something. There was something at the epicenter of his life. And see, church, for the person in the room today who has allowed fear to overtake, the counter to fear is action. Courage is activated when we respond to fear. The chief was trying to cripple them to the point of inaction. Look what the chief of the staff does. What are you trusting in that makes you so confident? What, what, what is it? What's giving you this confidence? He wasn't saying it <coughs> so much because he could recognize God in their lives. He was saying it to further trick them into the, tra- the door that the enemy sets, that looks appealing. What are you trusting in that makes you so confident? Is it on Egypt? If you only knew the context of this, this is so important. It just sounds like a question, right? Egypt was a friend that Hezekiah could have called on, but Egypt wasn't that great of a friend. Egypt 
took God's people away from worshiping the true and living God into incense and shrines. Don't overlook the question here this morning, church, as we, as we draw this to a close. What are you trusting in that makes you confident? I'm, I'm pausing so you can think about that. Remember, a door can be an opportunity, it can be a distraction, or it can be a trap. And so it says, 2 Kings 18, 22, and later on, 35, but perhaps you will say to me, we are trusting the Lord, our God. So now, one minute he says, what are you trusting in that has your confidence up? Then he calls, calls it out. He says, what are you trusting? Tr- but perhaps you will say, we are trusting the Lord our God. What makes you think that the Lord can rescue Jerusalem? The gall, right? Standing on their defense systems, standing on their wall, looking down at God's people saying, hmm, what are you trusting in? Wow. That's a great question as the band returns. It's a question that we all must ask. Not only is the enemy on the well, the wall, he questions the very God they serve and defends him. Hezekiah stood on the, the door of decision as he listened to the chief shout out and distract. He knew, he knew every door is a decision. It, my, my future will shape, be shaped by the doors I open and close. An open door will never contradict God's word. Doors can be opportunities from God, distractions from others, or a trap from the enemy. And he knew that day this was a trap. God sometimes closes doors to protect him. And he knew he had the spiritual bandwidth to know because he served the living God and obeyed him wholly. And today... You are standing at a door and you have someone or something standing on the wall of your protection. They are standing on the very thing that gave you protection. The enemy is that close that he's threatening your defense mechanisms, your faith, God's word, your relationships, all the things that strengthen your faith. What makes you think your God can rescue you? And there are other appetizing doors to open. And you're faced with a decision. And in, in, it's in these moments you need to ask yourself the question. It's a fundamental, simple question. Who do I trust? Do I listen to the voice of fear? Or do I listen to the faithfulness of God? <laughs> do I believe in the promise? The Lord is trustworthy in all his promises and faithful in all that he does. This is where you say amen. Amen. My preaching is way better than your amens. (laughs) This, the Lord, let's say the Lord is way more trustworthy than the fear that you are facing in this moment. And Hezekiah stands above time and reminds us. When the enemy is arrogant enough to stand on the very thing that protects you, your entire life, his word, biblical morals, it will take a special kind of faith. It requires a different kind of courage when your faith is threatened, not someone else's. When it's your story, it it requires a different kind of courage when the sickness is in you and not your neighbor, right? 
requires a different kind of faith when the threat is directed at you. And Hezekiah's courage teaches us. Would you stand with me all over this room? God is speaking to someone in this room today. I feel it in my spirit. And I don't say that flippantly. He's saying to you today, take courage. Hezekiah's courage teaches us his unwavering courage had a foundation. It is this, I worship the only true God. Amen? I hold firm to his promises. I don't give in to the voice of fear because I serve a God that is bigger than my fears. Amen? Amen. Woo! If I could dance, I would. But it would be painful my heart someone needs to hear this today don't give in to the voice of fear you're standing at a door of decision and you have you've gotten so close to that door and you know in, in theory in your mind at least that God is on the other side of that door but I've lived in this so long that fear has pervaded my mind and my heart and my soul God is saying, I am bigger. I am bigger. Not only do I, don't I listen to the voice of your I lean. I lean with all the strength that I have on God so he can carry me. That is Hezekiah's story. I worship only one God. I settled that at the beginning of my leadership as a king. I worship only one God. We'll get rid of this stuff, this incense and, and this worship that you, uh, to this pole that once you helped you, we get rid of that. We worship only him. In the middle of this culture, I hold firm to his promises. I don't give in to fear. Fear is not my friend. I lean into God so he can carry me. Here's the reality. I love this story. I love, I love, I love, I love this story. It's for someone in this room today. Just one person, maybe. Hezekiah was looking up at the chief who stood on his walls, the walls that protected them, but he knew the real protection came from the Lord. He spread out the letter from the king, and he prayed, and God answered. And look what God says to him through the prophet Isaiah, because not only did he have courage to step into culture and, and proclaim the true God, but he also asked for help. And because he had he had the, the strength to ask for help, this is what Isaiah, Isaiah goes before the Lord. He hears from God. He comes back and he says, by the way, Hezekiah, he will not enter the city or shoot an arrow here. <laughs> he will not come before it with a shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the, by the way he came, he will return. He will not enter the city, declares the Lord. Amen. And in 2 Kings 18.35, the king of Assyria woke up in the morning. And 185,000 of his men were dead by an angel of the Lord. Look what 2 Kings 19. Before we put it up there, back it away. Go back, go back. You're standing on the door. Courage today. And it seems impossible. The 
kind of courage that we need in this culture is the kind that says, I worship only one God. I hold firm to his promises. <laughs> I don't give in to fear when the enemy is close. I hold firm to his promise when false promises are attractive and doors are attractive. And I lean into God so he can carry you. And Hezekiah walks through the door of faith and courage. And look what happens to the king of Assyria. Next slide. Now you're gone, Shai, aren't you? There you go. He broke camp and what? Withdrew. Wow. And if you read the story, he was a matter of fact, he was killed the next day. That's our God. That is the God who goes before you. And so today, you're standing at that door and you're needing some kind of courage that's beyond yourself. Hezekiah is a source of strength to us. But at the source of his strength was his unwavering worship to the only true God. Unwavering strength and foundation of God's promises. And his ability to see God beyond the fear of what was happening around him. As a matter of fact, can you imagine? He had to look further than just the wall, right? In order to see God, he had to look up and see the enemy who was on his defense. He had to, he had to gaze his eyes higher than that and say, oh God, where does my, where, where does my help come from? Not from this mere mortal, but from God and God alone. So today I'm going to ask you simply before we end, maybe you are standing today, you need to open the door it takes the kind of courage that you don't have right now and you need it you're reminded today that God is with you he is with you and you want someone to pray with you just simple I want you to come and a pastor will pray with you no more than that you just step out and come thanks for listening if you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.